actually what we're experiencing, what is already emptiness. It's just that we don't see it. We don't, we only see it in a very limited way. But if we see, if we can see the whole nature of reality, you know, I mean, this is the awakening that the Buddha had or anybody who has woken up, they get it. They see the whole thing and it's like, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> but it's not different from what, what you're experiencing in your normal life. It's just that it's a lot more than that. Rayren Alhaidas Gumbel was born in Germany and moved to the United States in 1981. She began practicing Zen in 1990 and received lay ordination from Tenshin Reb Anderson in 1993. Rayren became a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center in 2003 and lived at Green Gulch Farm and Tassajara for nearly 12 years. She ordained as a Soto Zen priest in 2007 and in May of 2019, Rayren received Shiho, or Dharma transmission, from Foryu Nancy Schrader at Green Dragon Temple of the San Francisco Zen Center. Currently, Rayren is the resident priest of the Milwaukee Zen Center. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Quantum Online Sangha, a virtual Zen practice community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the Online Sangha meditate together, study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to develop their practice. Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are eligible for a free month of training. To learn more, visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. So, Rayren, I was listening to some of your Dharma talks and you had this amazing uh, path where you started with... Dogen's instructions on how to sit, and they were these very specific instructions, you know, keep your feet here and, and that sort of stuff. But you traced it out, leading the the conversation, but also, you know, the practitioner from the physical dimensions of how to practice into understanding suchness, understanding uh, the ineffable, so that they could find liberation and it was this amazing sort of journey you took people on where you started really with something so practical and and then really brought them into and this is this is what really sets you up this is the first step in setting you up into into the path of liberation and i'm wondering if you can sort of make that connection again for for the listeners sure yeah i this is how i started out <laughs> Uh, when I first came to Zen Center, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, I had not read anything about Buddhism. I wasn't totally not interested. Um, and a friend took me to Gringold's Temple. And over time, you know, it didn't, not right away, because I said, I'm not going to do whatever they want me to do. You know, I'm not going to bow or sit on the floor or, or chant, you know, I just want to hear what they have to say. <laughs> yeah. 
And what they said was very interesting. So I thought, well, maybe I have to check this out. And then I got into it pretty quickly, actually. Uh, but the the first instruction was just like exactly what you're saying. This is this is how you do it. You sit down. You have your back straight. You have your head up. You uh, your gaze is down, but you have your eyes open. All these details, very detailed. And later on, I found out that this is very very old. That goes you know way way back in our teaching. And and different teachers picked this up again and made it part of their, um, you know, of the instructions, though they were not written down, you know, or maybe I know that Zen teachers were very reluctant to write anything down because they didn't want to be, you know, as soon as you get too literal, uh, you lose this, you know, you lose the es- es- essence of it. And I think that is what Dogen is talking about. Um you know, you should do it this way, but then forget it, <laughs> you know, just sit and, um, you know, take the backward step, he says, you know, to uh, illuminate, to illuminate the self. And by that, you can, what you said, you know, see, you can realize, you can experience the ineffable, which we usually don't have access to in our normal life, you know, so we have to first be calm. So I also talked about shamatha and vipassana. Shamatha is the calm calm abiding where you're calming the mind and really come to a place where it's very comfortable, very soothing. And then you look at what's happening there, you know, and that's really important because we need What's what is about it's it's transformation. You know, we need to transform our mind from our regular day-to-day, yeah, our reality that we think is the true reality, but it isn't. You know, it's we're limited, our senses and you know whatever we experience through our senses is really not the whole picture. <laughs> So how do you make the link from having correct posture to leading you into suchness, into leading you into the inevitable? Right. I think um, in, in Soto Zen, the way I was trained is that everything is already the ineffable. There is no separation. Mm-hmm. There, you, when you are mindful, when you, when you direct your mind to what's happening, and that's why we put so much emphasis on um, forms, you know, on on, um, ceremonies, how to do it exactly right. So you have to be very concentrated and careful that you're doing things exactly as you're told. And that means you're right there. You know, we, we talk about being present. You need to be here in order to experience your life. And you cannot... You see, that's the problem. We're usually not present. <laughs> We're usually in backstories, mm. you know, or, or looking ahead. But if you're present, this is the ineffable. There is nothing else. <laughs> you know, this is mm-hmm. the life. Uh, and we need to understand that what actually what we're experiencing, what is already emptiness, it's just that we don't see it. We don't. We only see it in a very limited way, but if we see, if we can see the whole 
nature of reality. You know, I mean, this is the awakening that the Buddha had or anybody who has woken up. They get it. They see the whole thing. And it's like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> but it's not different from what, what you're experiencing in your normal life. It's just that it's a lot more than that. You know, I think a lot of people from the outside, maybe even from the inside, sort of look at the, you know, habitual uh, ritual, right? We do it just like this, 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 and you sort of keep it as a form. But I'm wondering if there was a moment that stands out for you when you could see through the form to what it was pointing to or what it was trying to lead you towards. Yeah, I think I had several experiences there were, you know, um, and I could, <laughs> yeah. I could talk about that, but yeah. my teachers would always say, well, that's not it, you know, forget it. I mean, it, Soto does not tell you that you had a Kensho. You know, I was never, you know, I said, well, don't, don't, don't cling to this. Right. Don't get attached because very easily if, if my teacher said, wow, that was, that's great. You know, I would, I would think, think, oh, great, I'm done. You know, I don't have to do any more. <laughs> I would always say, whatever's happening, keep practicing, keep practicing. And, you know, that, you know, I've, I've done this for a long time, right? Um, so you, you're practicing, you know, as a lay person, you go regularly and then you think, well, what's happening here? <laughs> I don't feel anything is happening, right? And then you go to the monastery, that maybe it's happening here. Well, you're there for several years and you still feel, what am I doing here? I'm not learning anything. <laughs> but then what happens is that your right. family, you know, my ex-husband told me, oh, you really have changed. And I thought, oh, if he says that, that, that should be, that should mean something, right? So I, so I asked my, my kids, <laughs> do you think I've changed? And they said, yes, mom. And then I asked my teacher and I said, do you think I've changed? And she said, well, I would hope so. <laughs> you know, it's, there is change happens. You just don't notice this. It's so subtle, you know. And and then she also told me later um, that these experiences that I told her about, I should, you know, I should remember. I should, these were very important parts in, you know, in my, you know, like little steps in my development. Um, I just didn't put, shouldn't put too much emphasis on it, you know. And, and of mm -hmm. course, I did not have a full-blown <laughs> experience like, you know, I mean, there, there are people like um, Byron Katie or, you know, there are other people who really had this mm -hmm. amazing total change. And I think that can happen. Often it happens through extreme situations, you know, like a accident or something. And, but I think that's not very normal. I think the normal awakening, at least <laughs> the way I understand it, is a is a more prog progress. You know, it's it's a slow um, change that happens over time, and it does need practice. And but even if you had a kensho, even in Rinzai, then they say, okay, this was great. You had a good you know experience, and this this is a good thing. But now you get the next one, you know. So and then there are three hundred koans. You don't just end with, you know, you don't stop after one. So the practice has to keep going. Right. And of course, especially 
in Mahayana, I don't know if that's true in any Buddhism, I would say, but especially in Mahayana, compassion is even more important than wisdom, you know? Uh, and, and the wisdom that we're talking about, Prajnaparamita, is really includes compassion. I mean, compassion and wisdom are the same. Um, you know, the embodiment is, is Prajnaparamita, the goddess, and she is feminine, which is very interesting. Um, and she's the mother of all Buddhas. So all Buddhas, all awakening comes through this wisdom and compassion. And, and so if you only are dealing with the wisdom side, you know, that, oh, yeah, I have that under, I get it, you know, that's not enough. And I also understand that when you really understand, then compassion is already there. It's It cannot be not there because you understand that everything is included and that you are that and everything is that. And there is no separation. And you have this amazing feeling of love for everything. Hmm. It's funny, something you, you just said about the the wisdom and the compassion. Um, it reminded me that actually in the biblical literature, in the in the Hebrew scriptures, Sophia, wisdom, yeah. wisdom is actually feminine. <laughs> Sophia, yeah. It's just interesting. Um so I want to go back a little bit to, you know, that first talk mm -hmm. you went to at Green Gulch. You went, sounded somewhat reluctantly with a friend, mm -hmm. but you were curious, I guess, about what was up there. And then you said, but very quickly you moved into right. becoming very involved. And I'm wondering what appeared in, you know, from that moment of curiosity, right. but I'm not going to do any of the forms to oh yeah this is this right. is I'm that here. that was this is interesting i went to six sunday talks you know one after another and every time they were talking about my life and it was not the same person there were older men younger men older women younger men women there were different people they were all teachers and um and every time they it was as if they were talking to me personally it was like really weird and I went all the way to the back the next time I said maybe there is some energy that they're feeling from me so I went to the back of the room it was the same then I went upstairs there was a you know balcony I sat behind a column so that there is really no connection and it was still the same so I got really curious and then I went to the um, Zazen instruction and there was a little old monk a wonderful teacher he um, he's very funny too and there was one um, visitor, uh, an, um, a Jewish man, who said, why do you bow to a statue? And he said, oh, no, we're not doing that at all. We're just bowing to our true self. And I thought, oh, well, if it's not more than that, I can try that, you know. <laughs> So I went to Zazen, I went to service, yeah. and I started bowing. And I couldn't believe what happened. It was just unbelievable. I, something opened up like big time. I started crying, and just the bowing itself. 
And I didn't know what it was. I, I had no idea. And then I went to a one-day sitting. Well, there, there was a lot of other stuff that happened. Amazing stories because it was like, these, you know, these weird coincidences, you know, that happen in your life sometimes. And, um, but then I went to this one day sitting and I had just, you know, in order to get there, I, um, I had, you know, I was the single uh, parent and I took my kids to their father on the weekend. And, um, and then I had the weekend, I was, mostly work on the weekend, but I also went dancing and I, you know, so, and that was the time when I could get away. So I took my, I told my children on Friday, I'm taking you to that, to dad's house and you have to be ready right after school. When I come home from work, you need, everything need to be packed and you need to be ready to go because I want to go to Green Gulch. And I had to go all the way back to, you know, to, to that dad's house first. So I um, I went, came home after work and nothing was done. They were lying on the couch reading. The food was all over the way. They were not packed. The beds <laughs> were not made. I got furious and I shouted at them, you know, and got everything. Okay, you get in the car. You did, you know, and, and then I took them to their dad. And, and then I said, ah, oh, finally, now I can go to Greenland. And that was nice because it was Friday evening. I could have dinner there. I stayed overnight. And then I started to sitting early in the morning. And it was just, oh, it's so peaceful and oh, so nice. I'm finally, I, you know, <laughs> and then they hit the fan. Right. <laughs> so it was like unbelievable, the pain that I felt about being such a bad mother you know, shouting at my kids and, you know, and then, oh, and then this went back in my life. And my mother was like that. I just learned this from my mother and, and there is no way out and this will never get better. And I'm just a bad person. <laughs> and I felt, I felt physical pain in my, <laughs> in my abdomen. It was like with every breath, there was a rock that I was hitting. It was so, I mean, it was just awful. Um, so then at lunchtime, we had lunch in this dining room separately, and then uh, the teacher would give a little talk, and that was Ed Brown at the time. And he talked about the 10 ox herding pictures. I had no idea what he was talking about, but he said, we're not in control of the beast. And I said, yes, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I just blurted out and, you know, crying. Right. And I thought, oh, shit, no, I, I really I felt so embarrassed. But he said very calmly, well, this is how we all feel, you know. And so then I went back into the Zendo sitting for another few hours. And it was still very painful. But at some point, and it was like an hour before we ended, suddenly I had this, I don't know, like this turnaround where it was, and I really felt it was like a phoenix out of the ashes, you know. I felt I don't have to do that. It's up to me, you know, <laughs> and and I was so joyful and happy and it was just great. And afterwards I went, I gave him a big hug. I said, oh, this was so wonderful. I looked at me and said, what? <laughs> you know, so that was a huge, yeah. um, I mean, step, but you know, that's not the whole story. I came home and my, so my ex-husband brought the kids back on Sunday. Oh yeah, I stayed another day, you know, and, and it was just wonderful. So Sunday evening, um, I had made, I made dinner and 
the dad came and they, we all had dinner together and it was very nice. Then I took my kids to bed and, you know, I had to do the preparation for the next day and had to do the dishes. So uh, my little one said, mommy, sleep with me. And I said, well, I'm not tonight. Sorry, I can't, you know, I have too much to do, but, you know, just you just go to sleep. And then I went back in the kitchen doing the dishes and she came into the kitchen and she sat down. She was five years old. She sat down in the middle of the floor and said, you come to my room right now. And I said, and I thought, oh, shit, I don't <laughs> want to do this again. You know, because we would, you know, we had stories of, you know, being really like fighting, you know. And so I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah. so I just, I was looking out away from her. I was looking out the window and I thought, please help me know anybody out there, <laughs> any Buddha or, you know, I don't care who's out there, but please help me. And and then I sat down next to her. Oh no, first I said, that's not how you talk to me. And she said, but that's how you talk to me. <laughs> and then I thought, oh no, 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 no. So then I sat down on the floor next to her. You know, I didn't get any celestial answers. So I said, um, I don't know what to do. And she started crying in a way that I had never heard her cry. So I picked her up in my arms. I took her to my bed and, and just sat with her and just waited. And she cried and cried. And then she suddenly started talking. She said, you know, I... I'm just so afraid this house is not my home and daddy's house is not my home either. I don't have a home and I need somebody to sleep with me and my dolly is not good enough. I need a person, you know, and I suddenly felt that it was not manipulation, but it was real need that she had. And I hadn't known that. I didn't, I hadn't understood that. So I said, well, I'm really glad you're telling me this. And she says, yeah, it's so good when you can talk about your feelings, <laughs> you know, I'm a five-year-old. And, and it was just amazing. <laughs> we had such a wonderful, I mean, this was the most beautiful time I spent with her. Um, and then I asked her, so, and then she said, do you want to go to the kitchen now? And I said, well, is that okay with you? And she said, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. that was amazing. And I knew Without that retreat, I I would not have gotten there, you know. I and I felt I need this. I need to do this. <laughs> yeah, and it is about practice. I mean, I've learned that it's not. You cannot just think yourself to awakening. You know, you have to do the work. You know, and you have to do it regularly. That Suzuki Roshi said always. Well, even if you just sit for ten minutes a day, but do it regularly. Um, you know, it doesn't matter so much how long you sit, but you have to do a, a regular practice. And it's also the sitting is our practice, but any any practice that you do um, in order to have some change, some transformation, it needs to be, it needs to become a new habit, you know? And I, I've learned about that a lot. You know, habits are very hard to break. So breaking a a bad habit is is almost impossible, <laughs> but you can you can start a new habit. You can start a good habit, you know, which can take the place of that old one, and and that is actually easier, you know. So, but you have to keep doing regularly. You know, any habit um, doesn't 
come from nowhere. It is a regular practice. You know, any you know, any learning has to go that way. And so now you're the the resident teacher in Milwaukee. You received transmission a few months ago, and you have people coming to you, single moms with kids at home, spending the weekend with their dad, and saying, you know, what is this life? And what is it now to be, you know, a teacher, a guide for people? Yeah, it it's different f- now for me here because I was used to a residential center where people would live there. I mean, people would also come for the tr- training, but it was it, the people that we were training were residents and they were there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first time, I think it was like the first week I became a resident, uh, my teacher said, I didn't see you this morning in the Zendo. Where were you? And I said, oh, I had to sleep in. I couldn't sleep last night and I just had to, yeah, I needed another hour. And she said, well, then sleep in the Zendo, but you have to show up. <laughs> wow. So Zen training is, um, you need to show up on time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I cannot do this here. I cannot. These are these are lay people. They they come from home. I cannot even make them do anything. <laughs> you know, so it's a, yeah, it's a very yeah, right. different situation. But you know, uh, I um, I did lay practice myself in in Santa Cruz for you know ten years with uh, Catherine Tanas, and she was a wonderful teacher, but she also was pretty strict. And you know, I don't know. For me, that's not the way I, I mean, she, she was in a way, she was almost unfriendly, you know? I mean, I even thought when I went there, I thought, oh, she doesn't like me, <laughs> you know, but that was the only place I could go. So I had to, I said, well, she has to put up with me because, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we became really good friends um, because I, I was just insisting, you know, I, I'm going to be here and you can tell me whatever you want, but um, this is where I have to be, you know? And, and that was great because she really, um, she really helped me a lot. Um, You know, because I was in so much pain and I didn't even know it that, I mean, that was my whole thing. When I came to Zen, I thought, well, I don't need this. I don't need meditation. I'm fine. And when the teacher said, well, life is suffering. I said, are you kidding that is not suffering, <laughs> mm. you know, because I'm not suffering, but I was, I just didn't know it. I, I was totally denying it, you know? And when I said, you know, the, the, the fan, that was exactly what happened. It came up, it, it became real. And I thought, Oh no. <laughs> um, and, and that had to happen because I was not a nice person. You know, I, I was mean, <laughs> And and the only way need is that yeah you you need to look at this you know now do you think that you were really mean or just now that you see it in hindsight <laughs> you see like maybe just that human beings like the the beha- I, I I'm I, and I. I don't really know. I just, I say this in the sense that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I had this, a lawyer on who's now a teacher in Vancouver. And he talked about how he, he was this 
tough trial lawyer. And I do believe that the practice sort of rounds the edges, <laughs> you know, sands off some of the edges that we we have and we walk through the world with. But also, you know, perhaps it's not a personal meanness, but when we look out at the world, it's, man, people are just mean to each other. You know, and I think sometimes we can be like, oh, I'm so mean. But also, there's this great conditioning that's out there that's, you know, egoistic. I'm afraid I'm going to lose something I have or I'm not going to get something that I want. And I got to fight all these people and, you know. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. it it's the, uh, what we call ignorance. You know, the yeah. ignorance that we think we're separate and we need to protect ourselves we need to get enough stuff so that we can survive. I mean, all these these fears that we have, um, that is the basic uh, suffering, you know? I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. that that's exactly it. And and when you, you know, I didn't know I was mean. Well, at least not, you know, sometimes people told me, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel uh, later on, I could see it. You know, I could see the difference. And, and once you, you know, now I can, I can see how I am so much more relaxed about things that would have driven me nuts <laughs> before, right. you know, and I can, I can laugh, I can, you know, smile, I can, I'm a lot more tolerant and patient, you know, so yeah, it's different. And I think it's, you know, I think our karma appears differently in the sense that you know, I I also I resonate very strongly with the mean part, <laughs> but my you know my teacher, uh, the the woman I teach I study with now, she talks about being afraid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't. I don't think she was mean as much as she was just meek in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, because she was just so afraid. And to know her now is not to know a meek person. It's not that she's you know, dominant or anything, you know, over dominating, but yeah. uh, she's just so comfortable mm -hmm. in who right. she is. And it's, that's what draws me to her so much. Uh, right. And I believe her. I believe her when she tells me that the practice did it. Yeah. I, I think that that's exactly it. Uh, finding yourself, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. what is this self? And when you look through your small self and you find the big self, this is, oh, you feel comfortable. You feel happy. You know, I had a, I actually had one of those experiences at Tassahara during a session. I've, um, that was a really beautiful moment when I said I had this vision of um, myself, you know, being very small, you know, like a baby. And there was this big being, and that was Prajnaparamita. You know, we, I guess we were talking about Prajnaparamita a lot. Anyway, but she was a huge woman, you know, like, I mean, not really a woman, but a huge female figure. And and she was cradling me. I, I was, she was holding me in her lap. And I realized I could never fall through that lap because this is reality. It's always, I'm always in reality. There is never... I can never fall out of it, you know? Mm. And that felt 
so, oh, oh, that's what it is. It's, I'm here and whatever happens is reality, right? It could be awful. It can be, you know, breaking me up, but at the same time, this is it. You know, there is nothing beyond that. And, and that felt really, uh, I don't know, satisfying, you know, that felt, um, oh, I don't need anything else. I just need this. I just need to be here. <laughs> mm. So you have people who come to you now mm -hmm. and they're suffering. They don't have the residential um, sort of structure. Uh, and so I get, you know, you teach by inspiration rather than, <laughs> than yeah. you have to be here, you know? And yeah, how do you, well, how do you help them? Yeah, I encourage them to sit, you know, to do this practice wherever they can, because that's the other side of the practice that Dogen said, you need to take this out into the life. And this is the life. You see, that was also when I had these experiences and I felt, oh, I need to go to the monastery full time. You know, that was my kids were very little and um, and I was ready to do that. I mean, I made that decision. I talked to my ex-husband he said he would move in with the girls and they could go to the same school and my um the person I was working for at the time said she would keep my job open for three months because I said I'm going for three months right and when I told the children they understood I was going forever and they and it was like I I had killed them I felt they were sitting paralyzed they were not even moving and I couldn't do it and I I just broke down and then I was so angry and I said, okay, I'm not going, I'm not going. But I told my teacher, how can I possibly practice? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm single. I, I work full time. I have two little kids, you know, I cannot practice. And she said, but don't you know that this is your practice? <laughs> well, that was a different story. You know, I thought I could go to Mount Shasta, you know, <laughs> No, this is your practice and I can help you. you. I can help you, you know, put up a little altar in your room. You can sit every morning, you know, before breakfast and you can say the meal verse with your children. You know, you can work in the garden in silence and whatever, you know. And I thought, oh, no, is that it? <laughs> but, you know, and then Reb said to me, well, um, you do your job now. And then when your kids go to college, you can come here. And that was 12 years and I wow. said, okay, okay. And that's what I did. <laughs> right. So I practiced as a lay person. Um, I did lots of, you know, practice periods there. We did lots of sessions as much as I could. I went back to Greenwald whenever I could, whenever I had a little vacation. Um, but I couldn't go for three months, you know. So I told uh, Reb, well, I, you know, I, I need something. When I moved to Santa Cruz, you know, from San Francisco, I said, I need something to hold on to. Can you give me something, you know? And he said, well, um, you could ask for the precepts. That would be, you know, that would be the next step. And that would be something, you know, you can, that can keep you alive. <laughs> and so I said, okay. So I started, well, I, I thought I had to do a practice period before I could receive the precepts, you know? So I didn't know that I could do that as a, um, as a, non-resident and he said no that's okay you just ask me and 
I had to ask him, you know, three times. Um, and and I said, how do I ask? How, who do I ask? He said, well, ask me and and just ask. And I said, well, would you ordain me? And he said, yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was easy, right? And then he said, okay, now you need to sew your rakasu. Um, this will probably take about six months. And during that time, you should watch what's happening. That could be a very important time for you. And and also, whenever you can, please come to the classes. We have, you know, we have class about the precepts and, um, you know, and come and talk to me on, you know, every now and then. So, and I did that, you know. Uh, and, you know, those six months were absolutely horrendous. Everything fell apart my whole life. I lost my job. I lost everything. But um, I... I already had that feeling of peace and things worked out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Rayrin Alhaidas Gumbel encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more by visiting the website for the Milwaukee Zen Center. The address is mkzen.org. I'll also put a link in the show notes. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quantum Online Sangha. Listeners of this podcast are eligible for a free month of training, which includes live Q&A interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To access your free month of training, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast. It helps introduce us to new listeners. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.